Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show was heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You could also pick it up on our Podomatic page, and that's our uh, platform for our podcast, as well as Amazon, Spotify, iHeart, and several others, and we ask that you share it. Uh, like and also occasionally we upload vid- some of these shows to our YouTube channel. But lately, uh, usually if I have a live, uh, if I have a guest, I tend to do that. Uh, it's brought to you by Camp Constitution, which among other things runs a week long family camp and a ladies retreat and a family retreat and speaking engagements and all kinds of other great things. To learn more about us, just visit our website, campconstitution.net. And uh, check out, excuse me, check out our sponsors page where you could uh, support these uh, people that help make this show and make Camp Constitution possible. Also, consider becoming a sponsor uh, you, uh, with a donation of uh, $100 a year. We can put your nonprofit or business up on the page. And uh, uh, when people visit our site, they want to know if they like to support like minded people instead of organi- companies and organizations that hate tend to hate us. And we do thank you. We're a, uh, a very modest entity con- compared to other groups. Uh, I'm the only full-time person, but we have, I think, a pretty good outreach, uh, especially since our successful lawsuit against the city of Boston. Um, we have a project, uh, uh, we're a group that we're partnering with, um, a legal, uh, um, a pro-life legal team in massachusetts led up by attorney bob joyce i've known bob for many years and he is uh, engaging uh, on a campaign to have as many pro-life flags fly around the state in the state of massachusetts and he asked if uh, i would be part of that camp constitution i said we'd be happy to be honored to be part of that and um he sent out an early email to some elected officials around the state these would be town city councilors town council members etc selectmen and uh, he got a response from a little town on Martha's Vineyard of all places West Tisbury and it made the uh, Martha's Vineyard newspaper the story about this and that um, they don't know they don't have a policy right now um, they, they did fly the pro-life flag in Billerica Massachusetts just uh, back in mid-october. And I like to think we played a small role in that. Uh, I think we motivated the people involved because of our lawsuit, but we also got a chance to uh, testify at a hearing. And I, in fact, I was notified the afternoon of the hearing and I didn't drive down to Billy Ricker. I went on to Zoom or Skype, can't remember which. And I just pointed out to the selectmen that it cost the city of Boston two point, well, it cost it over $2.1 million dollars. That's just to us, I mean, not us, but to our legal team, Liberty Council. It was pro bono. We didn't get any anything uh, except, uh, of course, uh, we won our case. But Liberty Council got the um, got the legal fees, which is they're totally entitled to. Uh, and don't know what the city had to pay their attorneys, probably close to a million dollars, maybe even more. I don't know. 
So anyway, the uh, the town decided we don't want any of that nonsense. We voted. They voted four to one. And there was a nice article in World Net Daily just this past weekend uh, by Bob Unra. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Bob, I have not met Bob or even conversed with him, but Bob has been following our story since day one. Uh, or I should say since the demand letter was sent out in September 17th, so pretty close to day one. And he wrote a nice article about our suit, and he said that it played a key role in doing away with um, – but it's known as the lemon test. And I'm very happy that, uh, you know, God, God allowed us to be that entity that would help bring down this lemon test. Lemon test was uh, based on a U.S. Supreme Court decision, Lemon versus Kurtzner. I hope I'm pronouncing that last name correct. It was it was two states. It was Rhode Island and Pennsylvania. And uh, Lemon, who was uh, an atheist, from pennsylvania i think his son was going to a government school and i think some money was being used to support a parochial school in both states you know that's the, the city of state of rhode island and i can't remember exactly what what was for it was i think earmarked for a certain thing it wasn't just here you go we like what you're doing and, and the supreme court said oh you can't do that separation of church and state but with this lemon test a lot of uh, city officials, state officials, elected officials, appointed officials around the country were so worried about lawsuits from the ACLU. Ironically enough, the ACLU <laughs> gave us an amicus brief on our behalf, but they were afraid, you know, well, gee, if we say God, if we pray or we, well, that was already determined uh, back in the 60s, you know, that praying was somehow subversive to the Constitution. But even a Christmas tree or Santa Claus, because it has something to do with Christmas, uh, was unconstitutional. It was a violation of the separation of church and state. Got to the point where saying "God bless you" if somebody sneezes in a in a school, or bringing in candy canes because a candy cane, at least the ones with the red and white, there's different colors, but red and white are the most popular. There's a Christian allegory to it, and the candy cane is shaped like a J. And gee, what? Who start? What name starts with J? The name of Jesus. Well, that's a powerful name. That's why it, uh, candy canes in some places were forbidden. Also, Ten Commandments were taken down from places. Um, I know the judge and Judge Roy Moore in Alabama. He actually paid for the statue of the Ten Commandments, and he no, all that is no. It's you can do it because the lemon test is put to rest. Well, last week. Early last week, I became aware of a very powerful documentary, and I didn't know it was powerful when I heard about it, but I watched it, and yes, it is very powerful. It's called The Fall of Minneapolis, and I did a 15-minute Zoom video, which I uh, had a split screen, and I had the website, and I scrolled down, and all of the information about it. The producer was uh, Liz, oh, I just... I just I'm, I'm trying to get her on as a guest and she did respond <clears throat> and hopefully we'll have Ron, if not this week, next week. Um, but she um, she was a um, her, 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 her husband was a Minneapolis policeman and she had a media a job in the media. Liz Collin is her name. Liz Collin. Uh, she had a job as a journalist. I'm not sure. I don't think she was a like an anchor or anything like that. But she was fired because her husband was a 
Minneapolis policeman. And in the wake of the George Floyd death, every single policeman, especially if they were Caucasoids, were considered racist and white racist and white supremacist. So they had to go. Well, she they started something called Alpha Media, and they released this documentary. They did a, I think they get a crowd, crowd fund, is it what they call it? And so you can go to this website, thefallofminneapolis.com or dot org. I think it's a dot com. And you can see this free of charge. They do ask for donations. And Liz uh, interviews Derek Chauvin uh, from prison and not not he did she didn't go to see him but she's he's on the phone she interviews Derek's mother she interviews a few of the other officers that were involved in the incident she interviews uh people who are forensic experts she interviews uh, a few officers who have since retired who had some knowledge of George Floyd in fact a lot of knowledge of George Floyd and a lot of footage of the horrible carnage that went on and the lies there's film clips of the police chief, whose name I don't recall, basically lying, saying that the particular hold that Derek had on uh, Floyd was authorized. In fact, they trained the police to do that. And they even showed in the courtroom, there were two, there were two views. There was a view from somebody who had the cell phone video, and that's the picture you saw. So you saw and he was right by the car. You didn't really get a completely clear view. But at that angle, it looked like, and it was grainy. It wasn't a clear picture, but it looked like uh, Chauvin had his knee on his neck. And But there was another video, and there was actually a lot of um, body cam that came from the police officers that was not admissible in court. And the body cam... From a different angle, it looked like, and the police chief was even asked, he said, yes, from that angle, it looks like it was it was on the back, not on the neck. So we said that, but there was such, uh, it was a mob jury. They actually, went, it was really, a, it was one of the worst examples of justice in this country. He had to be found guilty and all those cops that entered that, entered that call, uh, answered that call. In fact, it starts off with the, the police officer, who, by the way, was black. The initial police officer who made the arrest was a black man. His father's black, his mother's white. They interviewed the mother. And, of course, Obama's a black man, and he has a white mother. And our current vice president, Harris, she's got a black father from the Caribbean, and, his, and the mother's from India, and she's black. So he must be black, too, because that's how they look at it. Unless, of course... You are a black conservative, and then you are a conservative, and you have a mixed race. Then you are right. Then you're a you're Uncle Tom, no matter what. But I didn't know that. I bet you I was surprised to learn that. Now I knew there was a uh, an Asian officer. I remember hearing about that. He was um, from the Hmong uh, people from um, not Vietnam, um, Cambodia. So there were four. And one was black, one was Asian, and two were white. But you thought this was some kind of white cop conspiracy just to hurt black people, because that's what white cops do in the narrative. That's what they do all the time, all over the country, every day. They just beat black people up and shoot them at will. Well, I think the number of blacks being shot by cops, I think unarmed, was like eight or nine. And there was like over millions of encounters, you know, not a bad, not a bad average. But 
Floyd looked he was passing the the the, the, the uh, convenience store he went into he was he was obviously intoxicated or high and he went in there trying to pass uh, what looked like counterfeit money and the police were called and the first officer came and and he arrested Floyd attempted to put him in the back of the cruiser I think he got he he was in there for a short time and he said oh he said oh, my mother he was talking about his mother who was died two years prior he said last time i got arrested he said don't shoot me last time i got arrested i was shot at he was never shot at of course and he said i can't breathe and they let him out and they he, I think he asked to be put down on the ground. So he's put down on the ground. He was still resisting. He was kicking. Somebody in the somebody who was around there said, get in the car, just cooperate with him. Just cooperate. And he wouldn't cooperate. Now, I have to say, the, uh, the officer that was... Um, no, I think that was another case. Now, I was thinking about some... Uh, one of them was using some vile language, you know, FFF, which is uncalled for. Unfortunately, you get all riled up and excited sometimes that happens um but anyway if if he simply just complied and went in the cruiser he would not have been he would have been arrested probably went back to jail also points out that floyd had a very very lengthy criminal record including putting a gun in the stomach of a uh, woman in the house invasion now that we knew about but he was he wasn't any innocent guy he was arrested just like uh, at, at 19 for a similar thing, he had drugs on him, and he had the arresting officer in in two thousand and nineteen mention what happened. He said he had drugs and he swallowed them. He did the same thing, uh, uh, illegal drugs, and anyway, he was so he was really a criminal. He was dealing in drugs. He was stealing. I mean, he had a whole since he was a, I think he was in his late forties, early fifties. The initial autopsy said he uh, was did not die of asphyxiation, but he died of um, drug overdose. He had fentanyl. He had some COVID in his body. He was a lot of fentanyl. He had uh, hypertension untreated. It wasn't being treated for. So that didn't help any. And his arteries were pretty in pretty tough shape. For a guy at his age, he was not in good health. But most drug addicts, uh, especially have been doing it for years, don't tend to have be uh, pictures of health. And for that of course um all that was thrown away the family got their own autopsy and they said oh asphyxiation that's the one they seem to use in the court and you had biden oh but also the city of minneapolis awarded damages to the family the day i think it was the day that the verdict was supposed to be delivered or close to or when the when the when the on the jury was in deciding the verdict so all this stuff went against and then this documentary is released, and just a few days later, Chauvin is brutally stabbed in prison by a guy who had been an FBI, had been an FBI informant, stabbed 22 times. He survived, uh, or at least we, as far as we know, he survived. That's, that's pretty brutal. I mean, how do you survive 22 stabs? In other words, there's enough evidence in this documentary not, and the Supreme Court denied denied the U.S. Supreme Court said, "No, nah, we're not going to hear it." No, nope, no, nope. they're afraid. So he had to be sacrificed at the altar of the mob rule. You don't placate the mob, folks. You can never placate the mob. They'll always come back for you. Always. If you give them a dollar, they want you give them a dollar, they'll not want ten. 
if you give a mist, you know, so you cannot placate the Marxist mob. And while I know he's probably not guilty, or if he is guilty, it's not second degree murder, and he shouldn't have gone to jail for 20 plus years. He has found federal court, state court. Um, you know, the guy was in his 30s, early 40s. Oh, also in this documentary, the mother had Chauvin's manuals. And that move, I can't, I, I forget what it's called, extreme something, it has an acronym. That was in the manual. And they had people, uh, policemen saying that, retired policemen saying, I trained like a thousand. We were all trained to do that. You know, it's a certain move that you put your knee on the back, uh, on the back, not on the neck, but on the back. In fact, I don't think it would be a good idea to, if I was going to try to mobilize, immobilize somebody, I think putting on a knee, it's, you can kind of get out of that a lot easier than if it was on the back. You know, there's more pressure and uh, put it on the neck. I mean, uh, the knee on the neck, it probably isn't going to be that stable. But anyway, um, I, I hope that if you're listening to this, uh, please go get that video. Uh, just go to that website, The Fall of Minneapolis, and uh, check it out for yourself. It's about a, a little more than an hour long. It's Again, it's free. And then share it with people. Share it with elected officials. Uh, just email and say, hey, have you checked this out? You know, don't don't you? I remember you sending emails about how horrible uh, all this was. Uh, this was, and this guy was so this racist guy. He has to be found guilty. And now this comes out. You know, some people admitting that. Yeah, I think the evidence in the documentaries changed their mind that the guy's innocent. There was a talk show host here in Boston. Uh, well, I'm not in Boston, but it used to be Jeff Cooner, who was a conservative. He said, yeah, this guy's he's guilty. He said, you know what? This guy's innocent. He was railroaded. And he was railroaded because he's a cop. And the narrative was, and, and, and also, in the if you go to the website, there's a little place you can click. It said the crime in Minneapolis. And it lists 19, 2019 to 2022. The murder rate has doubled, I think, or tripled. Uh, the carjackings, violent crime. Police are, who could be a cop in Minneapolis? You know that. The, oh, also, the mayor and the governor um, betrayed them lied and then politicians all over the country they wanted a they wanted a guilty verdict no matter what a guilty verdict that's the only verdict we'll accept we're not going to sit there and say you imagine if um when oj simpson you imagine politicians you know it was a while ago white politics said he needs to get he killed two white people and he's a racist and we will only accept a a, a guilty verdict and we'll riot We'll riot. We'll have our people riot. Well, that never happened. And a lot of people didn't like the outcome. I'll never forget. I was living in uh, our old neighborhood in Boston. Right across the street was a junior high school. And when the verdict was read, the ver high school was like 95% black. They were cheering. They were cheering. Now, if he was innocent, he's innocent. Good. He should have been acquitted. But a lot of people didn't think so. But, you know, the but the people who thought he was guilty didn't go out and burn tear down statues and murder people and burn down buildings they they kind of okay we don't like it but you know and uh, oj ended up going to jail for other uh crimes and he was involved in kidnapping uh some years later and now he's out but anyway but that's uh the jury that you know the 
the legal system isn't perfect. In fact, it is flawed and more flawed now than I think ever before. I recall that a professor of mine and uh, my junior college, he uh, law professor, Jerry Van Dam, he said that in the United States, he said, you have a chance at justice. He didn't say you will get it. You have a chance of it. And that is, uh, he said, but that's saying a lot because in most countries, you don't have a chance at justice. You know, you, uh, it's, it's a kangaroo court. Uh, it's the, it, and of course, sometimes when a person is guilty, they walk away on a technicality or today with all of these uh, Soros backed attorney generals and prosecutors, they're not even charging people for these crimes. And some of them are quite serious. Or if the person isn't arrested for the felony of say of stealing, they let out, they let them out and then they turn around and they commit another, they commit a murder or commit something more dangerous uh, and more destructive. In fact, uh, Kamala Harris, she helped raise money to give bail to these people in Minneapolis and Minnesota that were rioting. And one of the persons that was released due to the fundraising uh, went out and killed somebody. But you didn't hear that. You didn't hear all of these righteous, smug Joe Scarborough types, you know, say anything about it. It never happened. And I like to talk a little bit about Joe Scarborough, too. Now, he's he must be on some type of psychotropic drugs, and he's been off his meds lately. That's the only thing I can explain. Or he's just insane. Uh, that could be a reason, too. But he's ranting and raving about Trump and Trump's going to ex if he gets reelected, he's going to execute people and arbitrarily. Well, and then he said uh, something like um, the fact that he didn't do it in the before means he's going to do it in the future. Well, Trump says a lot of things. Sometimes, uh, you know, some of us would say, OK, you don't need to make comment about this. You know, it's, you know, we love you, but silence is golden sometimes. <laughs> Shut up. You know, don't you don't have to make it. Sometimes he could be a little over the top and sometimes a little more than a little over the top. Nevertheless, uh, he didn't put anybody in jail. He didn't weaponize the FBI. In fact, the FBI had been already been weaponized under the Obama administration and all, all the holdovers were there. Uh, it's not like uh, Trump fired every single FBI agent or all the every single person. He fired one uh, and replaced him with somebody probably worse, Christopher Ray. Uh, so the FBI has been weaponized um, to go after uh, to go after people who the the bite falls. But you don't hear Scarborough complain about that. He didn't get up there and say Joe Biden. He weapon. He's defending Biden. He said, "Oh, this guy is great. Fifty years of experience. Wow, he's such a wonderful one." You got to be kidding. He went after his 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 Justice Department went after a pro life father who had involved in a skirmish outside an abortion mill where he was defending his son. I think it was in Philadelphia. The local police just, you know, said, there's no, we're not filing any charges. They, the FBI stormed his house. Like it was either early in the morning or the middle of the night, you know, with guns drawn and all this and arrested him. And then they said, Oh, by the way, all traditional Catholics are potential terrorists. And now, uh, now it looks like it. If you uh, anyone who even thought of supporting Biden, I mean um, Trump, are now uh, suspect of some. So they're really uh, you don't hear Scarborough say a word about that. Nothing, because he's one of them. But it was interesting. I remember when he first got elected. You know, it was uh, that year. There was a big turnover. Uh, lots of freshmen, and that's the year I think the, the, for the first time in a long time. 
that the uh, Republicans actually won the House, the House of Representatives. They had a, a good, strong majority. People were very disappointed with, with uh, what was going on with the Clinton administration, and there was a big, big turnover. And Scarborough was one of them. And I remember that he co-sponsored a bill that Ron Paul submitted. It was called the UN, U.S., um, oh, what well, was a bill to get us out of the UN, the U.S. Sovereignty Restoration Act. And he gladly signed it. He was a pretty good conservative. And he actually went to a John Birch Society Council dinner in California as a freshman. So it was 1996, I believe. And I have a recording of that. And I got that recording and I had, uh, we converted it to a video. So it's on our YouTube channel. And he, you know, he wasn't, he didn't just show up because he was given a big honorarium and yeah, okay, I'll speak to the, his, he had a, a couple there whom I, whom I, I know, I knew the Ruckle, Ruckles, Walt and his wife, uh, they were, they lived in his district. They were his big, they were big supporters of his and no doubt big donors. And he's praising the JBS and he's saying how the JBS holds him accountable, et cetera, et cetera. It's like a thorn in my side. If I got a bill, they want me to vote a certain way. And he thought that was good. And here he was, you know, go. he was an anti-establishment conservative. There's a lot of people that call conservatives, but, you know, their voting record isn't that great. They're Republicans and they're moderates. And they pretty much go along with all of the international stuff, you know, the the funding for the UN, funding for the international bank, funding to China, funding here, funding there. Uh, but he wasn't. But then he changed. So I don't know exactly. He spent several several terms. I know he resigned. He got divorced because he was involved with a pre pre marriage, um, not premarital, but uh, an adulterous relationship. Uh, and next thing you know, he's MSNBC. And I guess he had an affair with uh, Mika. I think it was, well, now he's married to her. I can't remember. Don't hold me to it. I can't remember. I uh, I was reading a little bit about that, but he, I think he was married when he was um, working with Mika and they had an affair. He ended up marrying her. Now, Mika Brzezinski is the daughter of Spiknyov Brzezinski. He was one of the top globalists, deep staters of his time. He was the man who was pretty much the founder of the Trilateral Commission. He worked, uh, he was a uh, uh, he was a Polish. He came over here from Poland. This guy was a hardcore globalist. And he, I remember getting, he got a lot of attention. He he liked the limelight in those days. He wrote a book called Between the Ages. Uh, and in that book, he praised Marxism as a victory of the outer active or, uh, in a, uh, against the inner passive man. He's praising Marxism. Carter taps him, to, oh, I'm sure Carter was told to appoint him as his security advisor. And I remember hearing that in the, when he was advising Carter, he said, if the Warsaw Pact nations invade Western Europe, we'll give them half of Western Europe. Well, I happen to be in, in a part of that Western Europe, but he was gladly glad to give them so much. So great advice he's giving people. So that's his background. He's now married. To one of the, and she's, you know, the apple didn't fall from, it didn't fall far from the tree, as the old saying goes. She's a committed globalist, too. And he's he spewing his nonsense. I'm just, I just hope that, I don't think there are that many people watching MSNBC. I can't imagine. And I think sometimes uh, people on Fox and Newsmax are the only ones that watch it and then they report on it. 
like the the TV show The View, where those uh, ob obnoxious lady lefty women are spewing their nonsense. I think I don't know how many people watch it, but it looks like most of the people who watch it are those on Fox News who then report about it and give attention to them. They also like to promote their books. Isn't it interesting? Why why are these conservatives promoting left wing books? I mean, I I get it. We should be we should know what the enemy's up to, but the left that's a commercial, you know. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who watch these shows who aren't leftists or who are leftists that will buy that book. Anyway, I hope they'll uh, promote the book we're about to put out. A book on um I haven't got pinned down a name yet. I think it's because the, the the racist roots of Planned Parenthood. The Negro Project, Margaret Sanger. And if it's too long, so maybe if it's just called The Racist Roots of uh, Planned Parenthood and then like a subtitle, Sanger, Gamble, and The Negro Project. I think that's what I'll do. Or I might say uh, something like um, The Racist Roots of Planned Parenthood and Its Culture of Death. Uh, something like that might be a little bit too strong. But I, but I'll, but uh, you know, I'll put it in prayer and I'll, I'm sure we'll put something. But I'm just about, uh, I'm waiting for a foreword. And I'm also waiting for a uh, Reverend Stevie Kraft to do a little uh, he analyzing uh, Martin Luther King's speech that he gave. Well, he didn't give it. Uh, it was read, but he was his name was on it. It was the acceptance speech when he got he was a recipient of the Margaret Sanger Award. Well, we're almost out of time. I want to thank you for listening. You've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. And until next week, may God richly bless you. And please, um, if you like what you hear, please uh, let other people know. Forward, forward the show. And let me know if you're listening to this on WBCQ, the planet, folks. Let me know. Go to our website and say, yeah, like the show.